Grab your mason jars, strap on that apron. It's time for Canning with the Diva. Making her mark across the globe. Teaching you how to safely preserve delicious recipes. Please welcome your host, Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in. I'm Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva, and you're listening to Canning with the Diva. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the top 10 rules of pressure canning. And I'm going to share with all of you listeners ways in which to stay safe in the kitchen so that you can conquer your fear of using a pressure canner. I mean, I hear it all the time from my followers and those that attend my classes that they're pretty much scared to death of a pressure canner. Those of you who know me know I'm a huge advocate and believer that knowledge is power. So it's why I choose to you know, teach and give knowledge and education so that that way you feel safe and confident. Now, it's also the main reason I started the Canning Diva. Again, I'm a huge advocate and believer Knowledge is power. And if I teach you practical methods and I share with you safe techniques, help you learn the science and the math of canning, teach you the ins and the outs, I know that the fear is going to subside within you and you are going to be filled with joy and confidence because I I guarantee you, once you see the simplicity of it, you learn what to stay away from, what to do. And I give you, again, these top 10 rules to follow. You are going to be so happy when you see jars of yummy goodness lining your pantry shelves. The best part of what we do in home canning is those foods that you put in jars. It is food that you you know where it came from. You know, you touched it, you grew it, you purchased it, you cleaned it, you know what spices did or did not make it into that jar. And I guarantee you, unless you're a chemist, there's no chemicals being put into that jar, no additives, no preservatives. Everything that we're doing is natural, and you can feel confident knowing that you're feeding yourself and your family something nutritious. So, I mean, that alone, you know, the knowledge, the um, nutritional aspect, the fun. I mean, trust me, you're going to have so much fun. Those are the things that get me excited enough to cast aside any of my fears so that I can continue to learn a new skill. So today, in today's episode, I want to share with you the top 10 rules of pressure canning. So whether you're new to canning or you've been pressure canning for years, you know, even those of us veteran canners can learn something new. So grab a notepad or save this podcast as a resource because we're going to dive in. All right. So rule number one, always keep your vent pipe clean and free from debris. So now those of you new to canning, uh, the vent pipe is the area on top of the lid that we utilize to vent steam and then also prevent steam from exiting the vessel. It's imperative that we keep that clean. And how we do so is you take that lid and you hold it up and you're going to now look through the portal 
of that vent pipe and make sure that you see daylight. You want to be able to see through that hole. If the vent pipe is darkened and you can't see through it, you want to clean it. So whether it is a pipe cleaner or a toothpick or some you know soapy water, all of the above, um, you want to make sure that the vent pipe is clean and free from debris because it does need to vent. Okay. We allow our canner to vent for 10 minutes before we place the weighted gauge on that vent. And if it's not given the proper time to vent, it's going to unnecessarily and precariously build up pressure. And that is very dangerous because we only want it to build up pressure when we say to. So we definitely don't want it gaining pressure before it's time. And we certainly need that 10 minutes of venting. Okay, so rule number two, vinegar is your friend. You're going to use vinegar in your kitchen as a home canner religiously. And you're going to find that it is truly your best friend. You're going to use it to clean jar rims and screw bands. Um, I tell people all the time, when it's even printed in my recipes, take a washcloth, dip it in vinegar, wipe your jar rims with it because it cuts through greasy residue, it cuts through salty uh, residue and sugary substances left on the jar. We make a mess when we can, right? So, you know, we'd use a funnel, we do our best, but food is going to wind up on that jar rim and you want to clean it and give it that last bit of strength before you put a, 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 a lid and a ring on to that jar. Um, also, that, you know, vinegar is a natural bacteria killer. So you're giving the jar rim a last leg of defense. So you have strength and defense using vinegar, just cleaning those jar rims. Also, you're going to put two tablespoons of vinegar in the canner water prior to processing. And the reason we do that is it keeps the jars clean and free of mineral deposits. How many of you are tuning in going, oh my gosh, I keep getting this white cloudy substance on my jars and no matter how much I scrub them with soap and water, they're always cloudy. That, my friend, is mineral deposits from your water forming on the jar and you know, we even see it in our um, water glasses, right? We see that etching and that mineral deposits. So vinegar um, is your best friend. Canning or even just washing your own dishes, throwing some into your dishwasher will help remove that residue. And for those of us that are canning, whether you're sterilizing your jars, if you're making jelly, or you're popping them in either a water bather or a pressure canner, two tablespoons of white vinegar in that water is going to prevent the mineral buildup. Okay, rule number three, always let your canner vent for 10 minutes before placing the weighted gauge or counterweight on the vent pipe. Now we talked about that a touch in rule one. And the reason I'm making this its own rule is because so many of you might have come across a canner a pressure canner, whether it be an estate sale or Facebook marketplace, which is amazing. And that is a great way to get a very good deal on something that otherwise would be quite expensive, brand new. Um, it may not have come with some instructions. So if everything seems to be in tip-top shape and you're ready to use it, but you haven't a clue how, 
I number one suggest you go look for the manual online. You can Google just about anything. But number two, if you kind of already have a, enough knowledge to be dangerous, make sure that you are venting that canner for 10 minutes before you put the weighted gauge on because you want to allow all of the cooler air within that vessel to escape. You want all the molecules within that vessel to be, or vessel, vessel, sorry, to be active and getting hotter and hotter. The whole point in using a pressure canner is to gain pressure. And so if you are operating your pressure canner without giving it the, the time it needs to get hot, you may not have a full um, 260 or 50 degrees within that vessel, which is imperative. We've got to get over 240. Those of you in higher elevation need to be 250 and higher. And so we've got to make sure we're venting for those first 10 minutes. Okay, so on to rule four. Always let your canner's PSI drop to zero naturally before taking off the lid of the pressure canner. Now, what I'm saying, folks, is after you've gone through the entire processing and your recipe is going to tell you what that means. So essentially, let's say, for instance, uh, basil diced tomatoes. That recipe asks you to pressure can pints for 15 minutes, quarts for 20 minutes, right? So after that processing is done, your timer goes off. What you're going to do when I say allow your PSI to drop naturally to zero is you're going to turn off your burner and simply walk away from your canner. You're going to give it that half an hour to 40 minutes for the gauge to just go down to zero if you have a dial gauge canner or for those of you who have a weighted gauge canner, Allowing it to drop naturally to zero means giving it a full half an hour to 45 minutes to just sit and cool down. Now, many of our canners have a mechanism that will stand up tall on the lid to let us know that there is pressure in the vessel. Um, that same mechanism also lets us know that the canner will hold pressure. So depending on which canner you have, once that mechanism drops back down into the lid, it's telling you there's no more pressure in the vessel, which gives you the identifier that you can safely remove that lid without cause for injury. Okay, so rule five, protect your face and hands from steam when removing the canner lid after processing. Now, I have a not-so-funny story that happened to me when, oh my goodness, my son was young and in diapers. We had a puppy. Uh, I'd, I'd say that Kala was probably just under a year old. And, you know, we are a busy household, right? So we have, um, you know, kids. My son was young, uh, 10 years old. So one in diapers, you know, one... Um, active and outside with friends, a puppy that's constantly running around. And so you can only imagine, you know, how busy the household gets. And I allowed myself to get distracted like we all do. And without thinking when the pressure dropped to zero and I was able to remove the canner lid, without thinking, I, I, I just, you know, unscrewed the lid and lifted it up and raked my hand right over 
the steam of the vessel. Now, those of you listening in might go, well, that's okay. You have a mitt on, right? You know, or you're holding, you're using something to cover your hand. Well, (laughs) I wasn't. And so I burnt my hand so badly that I was watching the skin kind of peel off some of my fingers because the steam is hot. I mean, it's it's hotter than boiling water, right? That we're using this higher temperature to safely preserve our food. So when that lid comes off, you have got to be ready for it. And even if you fail to put on, you know, um, oven mitts or, or use some type of towel, there is a safe way for you to remove that lid that protects your hands and your face. So we're going we're gonna to talk through it. And so I want you to, while you're listening, visualize this. So you take your lid, you, you unscrew the bands, or you simply screw the top so that it unlocks, depending on, of course, which kind of canner you have. What I then want you to do is holding onto those handles, I want you to tip up the lid so that the lid is facing you and all the steam is facing the opposite direction. It's on the opposite side of that lid. So you're going to tip it up first and foremost. And what you're doing is you're protecting your hands and your face from any steam that's leaving the vessel. And then all you're going to do is you're going to take one big step backwards so that now you're in the safety zone. You're nowhere near the stovetop. You're nowhere near the canner. And now you can, you know, handle the lid as you see fit to put it, you know, on a heat treated surface so that it too can cool down. It's quite simple. You just turn, tilt, and take a step back. And that, my friends, will protect your face and your hands from all of that dangerous steam. Don't do what I did when I got distracted. So start making that a habit and create that rule in your kitchen and you'll be safe from burns. Okay, rule number six. After processing and removing the canner lid, let your jars sit for a minimum of five minutes before removing them from the canner. This step six is so crucial or I should say rule six, is so crucial because this is where a lot of my fellow canners make a mistake and wonder why they experience either liquid loss in the jar or a lid failure. See, because we have exceeded boiling water temperatures, right, and we are upwards of 240 to 260, depending on your elevation, we have some very active molecules. Those of you who've canned before know what I'm talking about. You take a jar out of that pressure canner, set it on the cutting board to cool, and it is active and moving and bubbling. There is there. It's like every jar is boiling inside, right? Now, because molecules are active and glass is a conductor, it's also somewhat, um, you know, pliable. It, it actually... Um, softens, not enough for us to move it, of course, you know, and and reshape it, but enough to where when we put the jar grabber on that lid and squeeze and apply pressure, we are actually causing the vacuum to reverse and it's going to push out the substances. It's not going to draw it in and close that lid. So what'll happen is, is we will lose the liquid within that jar And then whatever food particles escaped, they might remain on that jar rim, which is what prevents the lid from sealing. So to avoid all of this from happening, 
go ahead and allow your jars to rest once that lid is off for a good five to 10 minutes, which gives you time to clean up your kitchen, right? I mean, we're all busy. We know we're doing 50 things in the kitchen. We know we've done a lot of prep work. So what we didn't get done while the food was processing, we can continue while the jars are cooling with the lid off. Okay, rule number seven, use a reliable timer. <laughs> now, this might sound trite, right? It might sound like, okay, come on, Diane. We know we've got to time our stuff, and what are you talking about? I'm talking about those handy kitchen timers, you know, that we all sit on the back of our, our stoves and we, it's, you know, you turn the knob and it does the clicking, ticking noise and, and then the buzzer goes off. Okay. Over time, those do not work very well. And because of where we set them, they get filled full of grease and cooking residue that we don't notice. And then all of a sudden, the mechanism stops ticking and clicking, and we have lost track of time. I've been there, done that, and I tell you what, it is the most nerve-wracking, horrifying situation because you rely on accurate timing to make sure that you're properly processing your food and that it's safe because you're going to consume it one day. So we get busy in the kitchen trying to keep track of time by simply watching a clock and relying on memory can also be a costly mistake. So get a good timer, whether it's your cell phone, whether it's your microwave, uh, you know, timer clock that you got on there. I don't know how many times I've thought I could do it by watching the clock hanging on the wall, thinking, oh my gosh, it's just 20 minutes. I got this. And then getting completely distracted and not hearing a buzzer, which all of us kind of need that reminder, right? Um, I've been there, done that, where I've let things process longer. And if that does happen to you, I'd rather it go longer than shorter because um, the likelihood of of um, anything happening is slim to none when you go longer, but could be very dangerous if you go shorter. So get yourself a reliable timer and just make sure you have it handy. Now, um, one more thing I want to add to this, uh, for those of you that love to get you know, triple, quadruple batches of things going, or you want to be adventurous and you're, you're making two batches of, you know, two different recipes. And so now you have two pressure canners going on the stovetop. Definitely make sure you have two reliable timers, um, because it's almost impossible to try to do the timing of two vessels with one timer and then try and keep track of which one started at the right pressure first. Yeah, been there, done that too. So <laughs> make sure you have access to a good, reliable timer and that you don't put so much pressure on yourself to do it yourself. Use the timer. Rule number eight, do not set your timer until your pressure canner reaches the required PSI. Okay, so many of you who've been pressure canning for a while already know this rule. So maybe this is a, a, a good one for you newbies out there. When you're pressure canning, you cannot start your timer until you follow the various steps required by the manufacturer of your pressure canner. Now, for the most part, they're all the same. After the 10 minutes of venting, 
you then can put your weighted gauge on that vent pipe. What you're doing now is not setting your timer. You're waiting for one of two things to happen depending on the type of canner you have. If you have a dial gauge canner, that means you have a visual indicator and you can literally watch the needle move up from, you know, zero pounds of pressure to two to five to 10 pounds of pressure and so on. If the recipe calls for 10 pounds of pressure, once that needle gets to 10, you then start your timer. Now, for those of you with a weighted gauge canner, you don't have a visual indicator. You have an audible indicator. And what that means is that weighted gauge is designed to purposely rock and tick. And the goal for you is to get it to rock and tick to a consistent sound so that that way you know it has achieved the 10 PSI. Once it achieves that 10 PSI, that is when you start your timer. Okay. We're going through these fast, guys. So make sure if you have any questions, you reach out to me at diane at canningdiva.com. You're welcome to shoot me an email. Or if you happen to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, you name it, uh, go ahead and shoot me a message if you have any questions or if these rules have um, prompted some fun stories you'd like to share. I want to start sharing all of that with my listeners so um, we can all feel like we're, you know, we're in this together. We're canning in each other's homes together, even though we're via podcast, right? And then also you can follow me at canningdiva.com and I have a contact page on there. So if you happen to have questions, you can shoot me an email that way. Okay, so let's keep going here. We've got rule number nine. Do not place hot food in a cold jar or place hot jars on a cold surface. Treat your glass jars as you would a glass coffee pot. Avoid drastic temperature swings. Okay, so let's break this one down. This rule is for canning, whether you're pressure canning or water bathing. However, because when pressure canning, we're increasing the temperature much higher than boiling water, we have to be extra careful in the kitchen. So what I tell everybody when you're working with glass mason jars is you want to treat them as if they're a glass coffee pot. None of us would pour the last cup of steaming hot coffee from a glass coffee pot into a mug and then race over to the kitchen sink and fill it full of ice cold water. We wouldn't do that because why? We might shatter that glass. And if we don't shatter it right away, we know that we're hearing, and I've done this before when I was young and in the restaurant industry, my first job, you know, I had to clean the, the coffee pots using salt and ice cubes, and I didn't think about it cooling first. I put all those ice cubes into a hot coffee pot, and I could literally hear a cracking noise. You may not be able to hear it with a mason jar because they're built strong, similar to a coffee pot, but trust me, over time, those stress fractures will cause a blowout. How many of you have ever been canning, whether you're water bathing or pressure canning, and you open the lid and you see food floating everywhere and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, what happened? The lids are all intact. Well, it's because you go and pull the jar out and the whole bottom of the jar is missing, right? It's still in the canner. 
That is because over time, the stress fracture from extreme temperature swings, just the jar couldn't take it anymore. So treat every glass mason jar as you would that glass coffee pot and avoid vast temperature swings. So if you're raw packing cold chicken in a jar, for instance, your jar needs to be room temperature or cold, right? That means the water in your canner must also be cool or cold. And then you need to gradually increase that temperature before you put it on to high in order to bring it up slowly and carefully because we're dealing with glass. Okay, rule number 10 of the top 10 rules of pressure canning. Do not let the PSI dip below the required level specified within the recipe. If this happens, you will need to achieve the required PSI and restart the timer for the full required processing time. I don't know about you, but I've been there, and it is very disheartening and frightening. Um, And the reason I say frightening is because you're already exhausted. It's 11 o'clock at night. You just have, you know, 30 minutes left to go on that timer. And you noticed it went down below the required PSI by like, you know, you got busy. You didn't pay attention. It's no longer at 10 PSI. It drops down to seven or six PSI. And you're frightened because you're exhausted and you want to go to bed. And now you've just added more work for yourself because you have to start that timer all over once you get it back up to 10 PSI. I know that sounds like a real pain in the butt, but I have a way for you to make things a little easier on yourself, especially if you're using a dial gauge pressure canner. Because we have that visual indicator, I I tell individuals, you're never going to be able to keep it exactly at 10 at all times, especially those of us that know what it's like to cook with gas or electric Things change, temperatures swing. The uh, you know, um, you turn on another gas burner, and the next thing you know, the gas starts to dip a little bit on the burner you were using. I mean, this is just common stuff we deal with every day, folks. But when you're canning, it can be a real pain in the rear. So, what I tell everybody: if your recipe calls for 10 psi, go ahead and give it 11 or 12 psi. It's not going to hurt it any. What it's doing is giving you a couple pounds of buffer zone because there's absolutely no way you can keep it at 10 for forever. You know what I mean? It's just not perfect. It doesn't work that way. So if you give yourself a two to three pound buffer zone, you're less likely for it to dip below 10 because you're going to catch it in time. Another thing I want those of you without gas tops to think about, so if you have electric tops, for instance, um, Think about your stovetop and how it responds quickly or not so quickly when you add temperature or take it away. And what I'm saying is if you have an electric stovetop and your recipe calls for 10 PSI and you've got it now at about 11 and you know that it takes a little bit longer for that temperature to go down, before you know it really responds to you turning it 
Don't let it sneak up to 14 pounds of pressure before you decide to make the move on the dial. Okay, you want to turn your knob down, right? If you if you know your stove takes a, a little extra time to respond to your adjustments, make sure you're you're adjusting between that two to three pound buffer zone ahead of time, because the reverse is if you let it get too high in pressure you could actually cause some liquid loss when you turn it back down. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want all of this yummy goodness siphoning out of our jars because we want to enjoy it one, you know, after having it on our pantry shelf. So definitely rule number 10, do not let the PSI dip below the required level specified within the recipe because unfortunately, folks, you are going to want to start that timer all over again once you bring, bring the PSI up to the required amount. Okay, I hope you've enjoyed these top 10 rules of pressure canning, and I hope that they have given you some insight. I hope that they've reiterated or re maybe confirmed some of the things you already knew. And for those of you new or veteran canners uh, that have not really dabbled a lot in pressure canning. I hope that these top 10 rules have helped given you, you know, an arsenal of, of technique to keep handy in the kitchen when you're pressure canning. Before we go, I want to give you five tips for successful pressure canning. Now I've given these five tips to readers of my, my cookbook, The Complete Guide to Pressure Canning. Um, my whole focus in that book was strictly pressure canning. I wanted everyone to read that book and feel confident and then have, you know, over 90 recipes that they could make in their home kitchen using everything I taught them. These five tips that I shared are things that I bring to you as an educator. I, I want you to be successful and they've worked very successful for, for me for decades. And so I wanted to share them with you. Now, I've already went through the one, which is how to maintain the correct pressure and giving you that two to three pounds of buffer zone. Let's, let's jump into a second tip to just, I, I want to make sure that you're not just looking at the rules of the game, but you're also looking at some techniques and tips that will help you be successful once you understand the rules. So the second one would be knowing your altitude. As you've listened to me give you these top 10 rules of canning, I talked about alt altitude on more than one occasion. And the reason that is so very important is foods that are in um, higher elevations, they take longer to cook, okay? So it's imperative that you understand the adjustments you need to make in order to process your food for long-term storage. Now, in my book, I give you a pressure canning altitude chart. So that way you can uh, figure out if you need to increase your um, PSI or not. For those of you that are struggling to find out what your elevation is, you can go to Google Maps and they will help you determine that. There is a step-by-step -step guide. Just type, type in Google, um, how do I find my elevation in Google Maps? And bam, they're going to give you the six steps to do it. They're going to show you how to do it using your map location. And then from there, you take that elevation, you head over to the chart, and now you know what to do. All right, another successful tip 
that's going to help you in the kitchen is set aside dedicated time to create and preserve a recipe. Now, oftentimes, you know, I'll start canning early in the morning so that way I have the rest of my day to enjoy other activities. And then other times, like I just shared earlier when we were going through the rules, um, I have started later in the evening and next thing you know, it's one o'clock in the morning. So the reason I bring this up is those of us that get excited, and I've been there before too, we are gung-ho we get you know go out to the store or to the CSA or to our own garden we gather up so much and we just it's like what do we say when we put too much on our plate at dinner our eyes are bigger than our stomach well our excitement is bigger than our abilities sometimes when it comes to home canning and so when you're new to pressure canning set aside the required amount of time because it takes time all right If you think about the time it takes to process a recipe, like for instance, um, um, meat, okay, let's just say you're just canning meat in a jar, all right, you need a pressure canner to do that. Quartz are going to process for 90 minutes. Pints are going to process for 75 minutes. That alone, that hour and a half, right, for quartz is just the processing time. That doesn't count the 10 minutes of venting. It didn't count the 20 minutes to get it to the point of venting. It didn't count the half an hour to 45 minutes to allow it to cool down to zero pounds of pressure, right? Doesn't count the five to 10 minutes of letting your jars rest. And it certainly doesn't count the time it takes for you to fill your jars full of the raw chicken. So If you want to be successful in pressure canning, set aside some dedicated time. Seriously, you you don't want to feel rushed. You don't want to get down and hard on yourself. And you don't want to put yourself in predicaments like I've done before where it's one o'clock in the morning and I'm going, oh my gosh, I still have 15 jars to process. (laughs) Hey, it happens. But um, in that case, you know, you can always put it in the refrigerator, bring it out and, and finish preserving the next day. But you're going to find that you're more successful when you actually dedicate the time. Okay, another successful tip that um, I often give to canners is designate an area in your home to store your canning supplies. Now, that might sound very trivial or you're like, Diane, I already do this. You'll be surprised, though, how often our canning supplies get mixed with our everyday kitchen supplies. And then when you need something, it's not there. So I'm a big advocate of tubs. I do tubs and I do clear ones so I can see exactly what's in it. And they have locking lids and that's where everything goes. And I haul it all out when I'm canning and I pack it all away when I'm done. It keeps me organized and it helps me keep some sense of normalcy in my kitchen when I'm not canning and I just want to prepare a meal. Okay, last but not least, this is a huge one for all of you pressure canners, new or old, definitely stock up on weighted gauges or counterweights. And the reason I say that is you could spend all of this time getting a recipe in the jar and ready to go in the canner, you're venting, you're ready to put that weighted gauge on the vent pipe and you can't find the darn thing. It will render that entire canner useless if you don't have a weighted gauge. And they're small. They can get lost easy. 
they can get misplaced. And I'll tell you right now, it's happened to me. The canning diva has had it happen. And uh, there is nothing more frustrating than your timer's going off. You can't find the weighted gauge because it's not in the spot you put it in. It's not in the tub you put it in. It is lost. Always have a couple on reserve in backup. And, I, you know, for those of us that use Presto pressure canners, um, they're like 7 or $8. And to have a couple of those on hand is a lifesaver. And it's worth that 7 you know, $8 or, and, you know, if you're buying a couple of them, 14 to 16 bucks to keep things going in your kitchen. Because I'll tell you, without it, you can't do a darn thing with that pressure canner and you certainly can't preserve any food for long-term storage. So stack up on some of the extras. Another um, thing that you would want to stack up on or at least have one extra in the house waiting in its packaging would be the um, the rubber seal. So for those of us with Presto Pressure Canners, we have a rubber seal that goes inside the lid that helps us retain the pressure. And those over time can get dried and cracked and they won't allow the canner to work properly. So having an extra one on hand saves you from having to run out to the store. And those of us we, you know, that have been canning for decades um, and those of you who are new and wanted to start learning in 2020 realize just how hard it is to find things in the store nowadays. So having an extra one could you know, make it or break it in the kitchen, folks. So all righty. Um, I hope you have taken some of those tips to heart and will be able to utilize them this canning season. Again, if you have any questions, follow me at canningdiva.com. Shoot me an email, follow me on social media, you name it. I'm happy to help. And I look forward to all of you tuning in next time. Happy canning, everyone. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Canning with the Diva. For tips, recipes, and techniques, please visit us online at canningdiva.com.